This is the uh, episode that you've been waiting for for the last 24 years, even though we've not been going anywhere near that long. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Episode. We were hoping that it would get to the point where we needed to record this, and so it is. For the first time in 24 years, on Wednesday, Argentina will play in a World Cup semi-final, uh, having beaten Belgium in the quarter-final on Saturday, Saturday. Saturday uh, by one goal to nil. Gonzalo Wayne's early strike settling it, and we are now here to talk about it. I'm Sam Kelly. I'm joined uh, in the living room of and by Peter Copes. Hello. Uh, Santiago is also here. Hello, everyone. His first time recording here in Montserrat. We've also got a very special guest, my, my Argentine football history teacher, Esteban Becerman. Welcome, Esteban. Hello, a pleasure. Um, we need to start off on a slightly sad note, of course, because as uh, most of, of you will already be aware, just before Argentina's match on Saturday kicked off, um, and the day after he turned 88 years old, Alfredo Di Stefano suffered a heart attack in Madrid. Um, he was taken to hospital. And on Sunday, no, hang on, not on Sunday, what am I talking about today, this morning, um, he died. Um, we can't not mention it, even though there's not an awful lot to say in terms of new news, um, but we do have somebody, as I've mentioned, who is a specialist in Argentine football history. Um, Esteban Di Stefano is more known, at least in Europe, for, for what he did in, in Spain, obviously, but how would you summarise his, his kind of importance in Argentine football because he left very early and he never really came back yeah yeah I did uh, he really uh, didn't show here uh, at least um, I think non 30% of what he showed in Europe mm. um, and uh, here he was like uh, uh, center forward uh, really fast uh, like a sprinter you can say and not much more of that uh, he uh, really became a, a total player or a, um, a more comprehensive player uh, really in Colombia in Bogota uh, where he began to um, get more uh, delayed on the field and, and to play with two of his real masters mm. who were um, Adolfo Pedernera and Antonio Baez mm. and also Ernesto Rossi yeah uh, but uh, Rossi Rossi um, was like a, a fellow or a friend for him and not really a master Okay. Um, Pedro uh, because of a question of age and because uh, he was at the end of his career and, and he was very experienced and, and he played uh, as a central forward too and was really uh, his real master. And Antonio Baez too, because uh, Baez was also a player not really evaluated here as he deserved because he could only play here a few matches in River and he had to go to Platense which is a, a smaller club a really um, <laughs> humble club David Tresiger's first club as yeah. for the yeah. listeners that well. at that time Platense was in the first division and Baez uh, was a, a key figure in the team of Platense that went uh, sub-championship, sub-champion mm. in 1949. Uh, and, well, uh, Baez was also a, a really good player and also a 
a player who who played as uh, um, a checker or uh, not really a central forward but uh, um, an insider uh, that could really show Di Stefano how to prepare a um, game or prepare uh, the football for the other players. Mm-hmm. Would it be right to call him first time at River? He wasn't really one of La Machina, was he? No. He, he came through just yeah. after that, or just as La Machina was, was coming Yeah, of course, River. because La Machina is River with Pedernera, okay. basically. Uh, River uh, with Pedernera playing as a uh, uh, delayed centre forward and um, managing all the attacks of the team as a real uh, director of orchestra. Um, well, uh, without Pedernera, uh, La Machina uh, stopped its existence, and uh, Di Stefano is uh, the, um, the one who replaced. Uh, Pedernera and River mm. playing as a centre forward, but with the Stefano, the uh, way of playing of River um, turns out to be totally different than La Machina's because uh, this Stefano was uh, not much more than a, a player who, who played really fast, and he it's, it's really important to consider. The, the the year Di Stefano played uh, at loan for Huracan mm-hmm. because in that year Di Stefano get a really acostumbrado uh, uh, used to used to, yeah. get really used to to play for a team that um, was in a, a very uh, defensive position and to go to on contra attacks mm-hmm. uh, really fast and Di Stefano for that reason uh, get used to be a player uh, which can or who can um, take advantage of his speed in playing uh, really uh, <laughs> fast as, yeah. as a center forward so uh, when Di Stefano uh, replaced Peter Nera in River, La Machina stops. It six exists, uh, stops to exist, and um, uh, River began to play more, much more uh, speed uh, with more speed. Counter attacking. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, not counter attacking, but okay. uh, which much more more directly, mm-hmm. exactly, and uh, with uh, a double. Um, Punta de Lanza, we say here, yeah. a double uh, center forward, uh, mm, with Di Stefano and La Bruna uh, to drive crazy the only one pack of the WN of most of the teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Esteban, um, you usually know a lot about uh, Argentine history, about football. Um, as an Argentine living here, we've all heard that Di Stefano, Messi, and Maradona are the three biggest players uh, to have graced uh, our country. But of course, football was very different when Di Stefano played. So I, I want to ask you if you if you had to compare Di Stefano to a playing style of a player who plays right now, who would you compare him to? I know this is a difficult question because it's very different kind of football. But if you had to compare him to, to someone, would it be Müller? Would it be Robin? Would it be Messi? Would it be a bit of well, everyone? The Di Stefano of Argentina and of River uh, could be compared uh, with some uh, with every uh, speedy striker uh, or with uh, every speedy central forward uh, of the modern ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, like I, I think maybe Cristiano Ronaldo or any uh, winger uh, who became to be a center forward. Uh, Di Stefano himself played his first match at River's first division as a winger mm. in 1945. 
that was the only match he played for La Máquina or for uh, the River in the La Máquina era. Um, and he next uh, to that uh, went to Recan um, in 1946. So uh, the Stefano of River and Argentina is a player that uh, really was not very special by the way of uh, he played um, could be compared with lots of players uh, but the Di Stefano of Missionarios and Real Madrid is really something big and it's difficult to compare him with some player of the uh, actuality because um, he did everything didn't he? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. he'd pop up as centre-back or full-back and then into central midfield yeah. and then he'd be finishing the move off as well of course, but it, it's good uh, what you said uh, about Di Stefano mentioned like uh, part of that trident uh, with uh, Messi and Maradona because uh, I think that has to do a lot with some Eurocentrism that here um, is, is really installed and, and more in Europe of course but um, because of that, uh, uh, you can only mention as one of the Argentinians' greatest players of history uh, the ones who played well in Europe, and that that is uh, it's a trap uh, because uh, you had here in Argentinian football players much more significant than Di Stefano and players than, that Di Stefano considered as uh, his masters. Not only Pedernera, who was one of, their, of them, um, but also Antonio Sastre, Enrique Garcia, El Chueco, um, also uh, in River you can talk about a lot of players. And this was also a time where, not necessarily like now, European yeah. teams didn't always come with their big wallets to take all the promising youngsters away. I mean, of a, a talented player could play. Of course. Maybe a Colombian wallet to do it, remember an Argentine player could, you have to could remember be amazing. The, the level of, mm-hmm. Yeah, the level of European football at the 50s or the 60s, uh, or the time the Stefano played in Europe, was really uh, good, but uh, not, I, I suppose, not as good as the level of Argentinian uh, football championships in the 40s. Or Brazilian. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Brazilian. Mm-hmm. But I know for sure that uh, the level of Argentinian championships of the 40s was much more <laughs> uh, qualified. Qualifying, qualifying, qualifying. Mm-hmm. Or, or of quality than uh, the European uh, championships of the 50s or the 60s mm-hmm. than where Di Stefano showed all his mastership. Mm-hmm. This, this is part of the Argentine kind of uh, mythology of La Nuestra as well, mm-hmm. right? The, yes. the idea that that era was particularly strong. Yes, because it was <laughs> strong indeed. <laughs> but uh, the problem was there were no uh, world championships mm. in that age, and we couldn't show to the world that football. And we show it in South America, and in South America we were the uh, greatest, <laughs> or <laughs> the, the kings of football uh, with... Uh, really good national team but also with really good uh, club teams because you uh, you shouldn't forget San Lorenzo went to Spain in 1946 and it um, it destroyed <laughs> the Spanish national team it uh, beat it uh, by s- 10 or 8 goals I, I don't remember now <laughs> By, but uh, it was really a monstrosity, the difference between San Lorenzo and the Spanish and the Portuguese mm-hmm. football teams. So 
that uh, was really a golden age here in Argentinian football and it's not evaluated as that in Europe. Um, when did the Intercontinental Cup start being played? Was in it in the 60s? 1960s. Which is, mm -hmm. is why the Copa Libertadores was, yeah. was born that year. Uh -huh. The head of UEFA wrote to Conmebol and suggested it and Conmebol to cut a very long story short, Conmebol kind of went, oh, that means we need a championship of our own. Right, <laughs> let's do this. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of Di Stefano's uh, relationship with Argentina during his, his old age, really... He's not. He's, he didn't come back, did he? I mean, apart from briefly as manager, he, he's managed both River Plate yeah. and Boca Juniors. Yes. He's won titles with both of them, uh, which puts him in a very elite club, I would think. Um, but that was uh, let's see, two spells at Boca, sixty-nine to seventy and nineteen eighty-five, yeah. and nineteen eighty-one to eighty-two at River. Uh, apart from that, his entire managerial career was in well Iberia, Sporting, mm -hmm. and a bunch of uh, Spanish clubs. Um, but Argentines really do still very much think of him as, as one of yours, don't they? They, they don't yeah. look at him in the same way as they look at certain other players who went to Europe and ended up playing for European national teams. He's still thought of as Argentine. Yeah, because he's a reason of proud here, mm -hmm. I think, most of all. But, uh, yeah, he was like a citizen of the world. <laughs> there we go. Um, on that note, we're going to, uh, to leave Mr. Di Stefano in peace. Rest in peace, Alfredo. We'll raise a fur next to you later in the in the recording. Um, no, why not do it now? Here's to Alfredo and Stefano. Santi's already finished his off, but never mind. Wouldn't mind a refill. And now, on to what I think we have to already term, regardless of what happens in the next few days, a successful World Cup campaign for Argentina. Don't we? It's results and results alone that matter, and Argentina, as we mentioned at the very beginning of the show, are in a World Cup semi-final for the first time in 24 years. They've beaten not only one, but now two teams who are not Mexico um, in a knockout match for the first time in all of that spell as well. Um, Switzerland and Belgium, but we've not recorded at all during the tournament, so let's go right the way through all of the results. We've, you know most of them anyway, you've, you've seen the games. Um, you had a rather nervy 2-1 victory over Bosnia-Herzegovina in the Maracanã to start. Uh, there was a very nervy 1-0 win over Iran, which followed that, followed by a, a slightly more Argentina-like 3-2 over Nigeria to wrap up the group stage. Then a 1-0 uh, extra time victory over Switzerland and a 1-0 normal time victory over Belgium. Does anybody want to jump in and tell us what they thought of this so far? Nobody? Really? Come on, people. <laughs> well, um, from, from my point of view... Um it was, uh, of course, it, it was the the step that the Argentine team took by beating Belgium. Uh, Belgium um, was bigger than it may seem to an outsider because the the, the psychological barrier of the quarter quarterfinals was definitely there for most of the players, and you can tell in the last half hour how nervy they were about. Uh, but finally breaking through. I mean, this is the first time that Argentina has uh, been in the quarterfinals since the Maradona age. So this is... Semifinals. Uh, sorry, that's beaten the, the quarterfinals and got to the, to the semifinals. Um, the Belgium match, this is the most recent one, so that's the, the, the one that I'm, I'm going to uh, talk a bit about. It was, uh, I think, the best, the best match in the, in the championship, in the tournament for, for Argentina very solid in, in all lines and even then um, the, even if victory was clear and Belgium almost had no real chances the, the last 20 or 30 minutes were very nervy and very um, you know everyone was uh, on their nerves here and I, I reckon the players were the same as well so I think this this uh, breaking through this barrier is very important for the Argentine team and now um, this is definitely already a successful campaign. So now that they've got uh, this weight off their backs, you know, uh, they're, they're playing... Uh, I reckon they will play with more mental freedom and just knowing that there is nothing to lose anyway and everything is to win hmm. from now on. There's a really good quote from Javier Mascherano before the game, which came out after the game. About what he'd said to his teammates in the in the dressing room, he said, "I'm tired of eating shit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go out and do this." 
um, which I think sums up the frustration that, yeah. that that's, that's been been present. And you know, I, I said uh, in a couple of articles, and I think on that thought before the tournament started as well, that really, although Argentina obviously come into it with with hopes of winning it. Um, a semi-final spot realistically would have to be considered as successful and I didn't really get the sense I must admit before the tournament that anybody else was thinking of it in those terms but since it's happened since they've actually reached the semis there's been this explosion of relief and of the seven um, matches the famous seven matches so much more relaxed yeah yeah, exactly Um, it's bizarre. I've never seen Argentine fans like this before. It's, it's curious. I mean, I, I, I'm 26 years old and I don't remember uh, Argentina playing seven matches in a World Cup in my life. So it's it's very big. And uh, every think, under 30 um, people, exactly, which includes most most of the squad as well. So yeah. it's it's huge. It's just it can be understated. So Lionel Messi turned three years old, of course, during the 1990 World Cup because he just mm-hmm. turned 27 during this World Cup, um, which puts it into context. Um, Esteban, can you remember the 1990 World Cup? Yeah. I don't know how old you are, I've just realised. I prefer... That's a compromising question. It's also, it's, as uh, Santiago had a hint that, it's the first time that Argentina have been one game away from the final, because of course in 78 there weren't semi-finals as such, um, but it's the first time Argentina have been one game away from the final in a World Cup that hasn't either been played in Argentina or has had Diego Maradona in the squad since 1930. 1930 was the last time they reached the semi-finals without uh, Maradona in the squad in the World Cup, which had semis. Um, which really puts it into context. I mean, it puts into context how important Maradona is as well, to the, in case we needed reminding just how important Maradona is as a player to, to the history of Argentine football. Um, what else is there to say? How, how, how have you seen the, the performance this day, yeah, I think uh, uh, the coach, Sabella, uh, gave the reason to uh, all of us who were criticizing about him, because... Um, but in what sense do you mean? Because uh, he changed a lot, okay. the team, including Demichelis and um, Biglia. Uh, he really uh, twisted the, the team... Uh, in a good way mm. and in a good shape because uh, he could be more honest uh, w- on what he really thought and, yeah. and, and, and could be more coherent uh, with uh, his way of feeling football of, 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 of uh, coaching teams and He's really a defensive coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Estudiantes, uh, he he was always uh, a defensive coach, and with Argentina, he was forced to do something he really didn't like. Uh, with this four-three-three uh, uh, team and with Gago as um, center field uh, on the right. Um, without any defensive uh, capacity. Uh, so, um, without Gago and with Biglia, uh, he had in the middle uh, really much uh, more in a shape uh, than he wanted, that he wanted. Um, and also Biglia, I think, provided more mobility as well. Although yeah. not, not much more mobility, not a lot of pace, but just that bit more... He got beyond Messi occasionally, which, given that the opposition are putting, well, Belgium didn't do, but <laughs> putting two or three men on Messi all the time, you want somebody to break beyond Messi and, and try and exploit those spaces, right? Yeah, and uh, you have with Enzo Perez also someone who could play very well as a right midfielder and uh, who gave the Argentinian team the. Defensive capacity didn't show in the first uh, four matches. Uh, so um, De Michelis and Savaleta didn't suffer as much as uh, Savaleta and Federico Fernandez did mm. in, the, in the first four games. Um, uh, Federico Fernandez is, we wanted to talk about the surprises. Yeah. Um, Federico Fernandez was one of the surprises for me. Yeah. Because Prior to the tournament, we said, he's not as good as Garay. No one's saying he's as good as Garay. 
But he's not as bad as people make out. Yeah. And during yeah. the tournament, he's been every bit as fucking bad as everybody's made yeah. out. Yeah, he's, he's, he's probably the worst central defender to feature in the quarterfinals. Yeah. Um, just appalling. And De- Demi Chaney's coming in really, to me, solidified things. And it made Garay play better as well because Garay realised that he wasn't having to do the work of two centre backs. Yeah, 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 a lot. And because Demichelis also played as um, chief of the defence, mm. as, as he, he really uh, take charge of his experience and, and he really shouted a lot. And you could see him uh, shouting at his fellow companions and, and saying bigly, hey, you... Please do that and don't do that. <laughs> and this, this was very noticeable in the Trinidad and Tobago friendly. I mean, mm. Demichelis was just coming in. He was kind yeah. of a sort of surprise call for Sabella, and obviously and he took this opportunity three years before, kind of yeah. a disgrace as well after the goal that Bolivia scored in the Monumental. Yeah, and exactly. and hadn't been called up again. Exactly, and I, I think it was a brilliant move by Sabella as well. Yeah. and uh, you, you kind of couldn't think of him. Uh, changing a central defender. Sabela isn't a man of revolutionary changes from mm. match to match. Um, not even less when the team has won. I mean, if they have lost or won by penalties or whatever. This is a, a manager that tends to stay in line with what has worked. You know, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But um, Fernandez was obviously broke. So he had a perfect decision while making that substitution and, and also Biglia was fantastic I mean after the first Bosnia game uh, I was very worried about how much Argentina seemed to depend on Gago I, I, um, Gago was quite good in the match yeah. but, uh, but, but I um, I was very worried about uh, after seeing that because I thought Gago hasn't showed in the last year or so to be a consistent player so if we depend on his level to play well it means that if he's playing bad, then the whole team will be suffering from that. And uh, I think it showed. I think it showed in, in, in many, uh, in part in Iran, in the Iran match, in part in this uh, Switzerland match. Uh, when Gago had a, a tough afternoon, then the whole team suffered. And I think Biglia was, uh, he was very good in the last few minutes of uh, the Switzerland game. Just only five or ten minutes were enough for him to kind of stroke the ball around, kind of, um, you know, the kind of the circuit of play that Argentina was, uh, it was very limited. It seemed like it was only defenders to Mascherano Orgago and Mascherano Orgago to Messi and please Leo do whatever you can. But Biglia started doing different combinations, started switching things out a little bit mm-hmm. and it showed a lot in the, in the Belgian match. Yeah, I think, I think Biglia seems to bring in another level of energy to the midfield where obviously Mascherano has that job of breaking up the play um, and, and obviously the stats suggest that he obviously does a lot of passing as well but when Gago's there Gago seems to play at his own pace the whole time mm-hmm. um, which is fine when Argentina look, are looking very good and there's a huge amount of mobility in front of him when yeah. Higuain's in form and Aguero in the first three games I think with those two their levels dropping considerably Messi was end- ending up I think like you said two, three players at times on him mm. and with Gago still playing at a quite a sedate play pace it meant that midfield was very laboured and there's very telling obviously statistics can be used to prove anything and I think one of the the, the best <laughs> ways of showing that is that our friends on, on Twitter Arken underscore stats uh, tweeted one a, a couple of days ago with the, the top five of the players currently left in the World Cup who have completed the most passes three of them are Dutch and two of them are Mascherano and Gago <laughs> which tells you on the one hand you can look at that and go oh well Argentina's midfield are really good at keeping possession and controlling the match and, you know, they're, they're the only team left in the World Cup let's not forget who've won all five of their matches so far um, but then if you actually look at why that is why they've got that pass completion rate because they were finding it so bloody difficult to play through yeah. Iran and Switzerland particularly yeah. um, it tells you a different story you have a midfield that, that, that doesn't know how to how to work the way through Argentina were set up we knew this beforehand to, to play very rapidly on the counter attack and, and it worked fantastically during the qualifiers uh, for whatever reason during the tournament as I usually said the statistics by itself doesn't prove anything exactly it's the context mm-hmm. yeah, yeah of course and uh, obviously that 
very high passing rate that Macerano and Gao have also are a product, a byproduct of them being mostly alone in midfield. And you have only two midfielders doing the work of three or maybe four midfielders, then obviously they're going to touch the ball and pass the ball more. And there was a very good statistic that I uh, tweeted today that said, uh, I got it off uh, the SPNFC website, and it said Macerano has more completed passes than anyone already in the history of the World Cup for Argentina. It, this is, he's made something like 100 more passes than Maradona in, the, in 86 already. And he's the highest passer in the history of Argentina in the World Cup. Um, I yeah, I think Mascherano was amazing anyway. Yeah, he's been doing the work of two or three midfielders on his own. Yeah. This stuff isn't helped by the fact that for a lot of the tournament, the attack has been out of sorts. What, what, what's happened? What's happened to Sergio Aguero, more than anything? Higuain didn't play in the friendlies. He was not entirely fit for the first game. I don't think it's as much of a surprise that he's taken a while to get going, although it's a disappointment that he took so long to get going. Sergio Aguero has been... I think, um, well, as, as has been mentioned before, the statistics won't show the full picture, but they can make you understand things. And um, Higuain was shown by official FIFA statistics to be the fastest runner in Argentina matches, in several of the Argentina matches, and, and also getting the, fa- the, the biggest amount of sprints and the higher uh, velocity during those sprints. So it's a bit unfair for people to say that he was out of shape. I mean, the Argentine media has even called him fat, and there was a, an ongoing joke on social media and over other several outlets about Iwain being fat, and this was definitely not the case. I mean... He was physically fit from the beginning, but just not sharp enough with the ball, in my opinion. Hmm. And also, which is inevitable when he's been injured for a month. Yeah, exactly. Half exactly. time of the. Of I the think it's, it's got to do more with that sharpness uh, on handling the ball than with uh, a question of fitness. And also, it needs to be mentioned that any forward will suffer when playing uh, with with Messi. It's uh, it's a given fact, yeah. and it ha- it's happened for every forward playing for Barcelona, and you just. You're just torn between uh, creating chances uh, or or setting setting yourself up in a position where you can get an assist by him and just creating spaces for him to do his thing. And, uh, Which he did very well when he came on at half time against Bosnia. Exactly. Wayne's touch that, that led to Messi's. Exactly. Wayne's touch leads to the, the Bosnia goal and also, as I, as I mentioned before, in the Switzerland match, uh, you can see him grabbing a, a defender and taking him away from the play like just taking a defender away from the play to make space for Di Maria's goal so mm. he kind of made a invisible invisible job during the first few matches and now he's finally his strike his confidence seems to be uh, sky high I mean the, 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 the goal he almost scores against uh, Courtois the second one was a goal from from Gabriel Batistuta's uh, score goal. I mean it was and that's the thing as well uh-huh. As you say, he, he almost scores it, he hit, hit the crossbar. Argentina could have won it much more comfortably than one. Yeah. And I think that, that's why yeah. we say that apart from, as, as you mentioned, the, the increased defensive um, discipline and, and the fact that they just looked confident and a bit more, uh, um, a bit more comfortable against uh, Belgium, it was the best performance as well because it was the first performance really in which the attack started to look a bit more, a bit more like the Argentina attack that we're used to. Um, on which note I think also just on that though it, what would have really benefited Argentina if in theory before the World Cup when we saw the draw we were thinking maybe that middle fixture in the group with Iran would have been the one where that, that's the 6 or 7 nil against yeah, or, the, or at least the, the strikers get their first goal of the tournament and all of a sudden they go into the last game they've, they've already guaranteed qualification they're playing just to win the group but they've already got that taste of the goal. Of course, in think, hindsight, at least to us two Europeans, it looks incredibly easy to look at that and go, oh yeah, but it was Carlos Queiroz, we should have thought about that all along. <laughs> but at the time, we weren't thinking this. But I think in, in a way, though, that made everything after that much more difficult because mm. th- just the mindset of not just, I'm not trying to say that I know what the players are thinking, but certainly the attitude towards Argentinian fans was a last minute goal to beat Iran yeah. and created this huge amount of yeah. like tension about the next game and then going forward like oh my god we're, we're nowhere near what we were and the truth is the truth is in, in, the, in the opening 10-15 minutes let's say against Iran Argentina had three or four yeah. free kicks throughout wide 
that were headed narrowly over. I think it was two free kicks in one mm-hmm. corner. Each one of, of Marcos Rojo, uh, Ezequiel Garay and Federico Fernandez, the, the three defenders who were big and tall and couldn't get at the ball and from set pieces, they each headed narrowly over or narrowly wide. If one of those goes in, Iran yeah. have suddenly got to come out it's and look for the game a bit and the space has opened up a bit more. Um, so it's not been... Everything about why Argentina have been slightly, let's say, frustrating is perhaps a bit more explainable um, by the fact that, although it does surprise me that Sabella wasn't working a bit more on attacking set pieces in training, but there you go, it's easy to say after the event, of course. Um, but one thing that's, that's maybe not quite so surprising, and I'm going to defer to Peter here because you are our independent correspondent, is uh, why has Sergio Aguero been dreadful yeah, well, before um, the injury? Obviously, the injury is there. Yeah, I mean, the two and a half games prior to him going off injured, or just under two and a half games, like you say, he was dreadful. I mean, in comparison to um, what we were what we were expecting from the World Cup, I think that relation that Aguero has with Messi from the under seventeen days is something which I think Sabella harnessed when he came and mm. set up this formation, and it was something which. Pre-tournament was expected to, to light up, and as a result, what we have seen instead is Aguero virtually anonymous in the games he has played. Um, now, whether <laughs> without going into off-field, oh, we can go into off-field. That, that seems to be <laughs> the main reason. Obviously, he was injured late in the season for Manchester City, and he didn't get to play the whole of, of, of both the pre-tournament friendlies. He didn't get to join in training fully. But the talk in Argentina is very much that he's not got his eye fully on the ball, right? That he's allowed personal distractions to, to get in his way to which It doesn't help when your ex-father-in-law is the one man above all others who every single South American journalist wants to take a soundbite from. And he starts going, ah, well, it was a fucking waste. He doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, he's useless and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't help, admittedly. Um, but the, the the feeling is very much right that Aguero has has allowed his personal life to just get in an, a not entirely convenient time. Hmm. Let's say that a, a slightly more professional player might have said, "This is going awkwardly at the moment, but it's the World Cup. It's the one chance I'm going to get to win it. I'm going to try and delay these problems for six months in some way or whatever." Yeah, I mean, I don't know how possible it is to delay, no, delay those things, but either way, it, it it certainly seems coincidental if it's not the case that. There's a, a huge amount of off-field matters going on, and his performance on the pitch suffers. So, uh, yeah, there seems to be. It's like the opposite of Messi, no? Messi was yeah. wasting a year, a full year, with Barcelona, only to good, to get in good shape for Argentina. So you subscribe to that theory, then? Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, I found it. Um, Tempting as well. This is the, the uh, Diego Torres piece, isn't it? It is Diego Torres, isn't it? I'm sure he shares some name with a Latin pop star, anyway. Uh, but the Spanish journalist who who wrote in Mundo uh, Deportivo. Oh. No, I think in El Pais. Yes, it was in El Pais. Yeah, who, who wrote this this uh, theory that uh, Messi's poor performances for Barcelona over the last season have basically been him a slightly pissed off at the board for not supporting him fully over the tax allegations which don't have much to do with Messi and far more to do with his advisors and I think Messi is said to be quite annoyed with his dad for getting him into it as well um, and he's annoyed with the board because they didn't get fully behind him and so he only really bothered to turn up against Real Madrid and in some of the bigger Champions League matches because uh, he wanted to prove the point to the board um, and b that he's been saving energy for the World Cup and the way that he's performed, not necessarily for entire matches, he's not been running games, but what he has obviously done is at absolutely key points in these World Cup matches, he has shown balls of steel, is the only way to put it. And I think he played a very intelligent match against Belgium. I mean, he, he, he was not the star player that he was uh, against Iran or Bosnia or Nigeria, but he did exactly what the match asked for he With the sole exception of that finish right at the end against yeah, Scotland. I know. but that's and the only the only black mark that you would give on that match yeah right? I, I mean the, the assist that he gives Di Maria after the, the first goal is just thing thought, it's, um, it's brilliant the it's, other thing I thought the Belgium game was in, in large part first of all there were two things first of all for the, the free kick in the first half that he put just over the foul mm. that that was when he was kicked about five times before going <laughs> down for a split second when he was running towards that crowd of Belgian bodies 
I had a flashback of the Maradona goal against Belgium in, in 1986 in the semi-final. I thought this is he's going to be he's about to do exactly that. Yeah, and there's um, a, and there's a very good picture of him facing five giant Belgian well, defenders, that's, that's which is very match. similar to the Maradona. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. Although the Maradona one, of course, is is not an entirely um, uh, honest photograph of, of the situation, obviously. But um, that 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 was the first thing, and the second was. That I, I kind of got the feeling, particularly those points in the first half where he was he was dropping deep and lacing through three balls, and most famously the three ball that was so good that Angel Di Maria got injured chasing it. Um, was I, I kind of thought this is quite similar to the Messi that we're going to see play in the next World Cup for Argentina. I think once his pace goes, he can play that kind of game. The passing from midfield is just superb, and, and they're just sitting deep, finding a pocket of space, and and looking for those balls. Um, kind of messy. Well, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he's, he, in in years to come, he's, he's likely, I think, to become more of a an enganche. Uh, let's say I, I don't think that Messi has, has fully got the discipline that's needed to carry on playing until you know Javier Sanetti or Ryan Giggs mm-hmm. kind of age. He's not going to play until he's forty. Um, I can see when, him when having, he's into his thirties. You know, I can see him becoming that kind of player. Just I can see him getting also having short bursts of speed like mm. Proven is having right now. You know, it's just sitting around passing the ball and then when nobody's expecting it just dashing through the defense like, like there's nothing there for a split second precisely but, mm-hmm. uh, we should get on now to the challenges that lie ahead um, oh no we, we should also first of all just reserve one very brief moment to applaud the performance of Marcos Rojo before the match before the tournament everybody said I certainly said he's the weak link no Maybe. He's rubbish. <coughs> Everybody else, not as bad as they're said to be. Marcos Rojo, shit. Um, anything but it. Let me say, for the game with uh, Holland, I prefer Basanta than Marcos Rojo. Why? Mm-hmm. Because uh, what Rojo did best in the uh, four um, uh, previous matches of Argentina was to attack not to defend and we need something to be with Robin yeah <laughs> but, but you know Savela is planning on, on using them both he's between the and two it might, it might well we put a, the thing here right? from, it might from, well be a 5-3-2 from what I've read he's planning on using both Basanta and Rojo Basanta is the left side and centre back and Rojo left wing back exactly and, 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 that could and, be, and have both mark Robin that could be a solution are we I very because we have to stop Robin. I have to say, I love it. This, anyway, this, this is where we move on. No, no, we this can. is where we move on to, to the matches to come. Are we happy with the idea of five three two after the five three two not really working in the first half against Bosnia, being very unceremoniously? I think the five three two against Bosnia was a byproduct of a wrong. Um, against Bosnia, we, uh, Savela clearly thought that Bosnia were going to be playing with two up front. Exactly. And As it shows because even when they were winning 1-0, he makes two changes on halftime, yeah. which no manager will ever make when they're winning 1-0 on a halftime of the first World Cup match. You know, so it's, he obviously realized that he, was, he, he made a bad call and he was trying to fix it. But now you're not playing against Netherlands. Gonna playing play against with, Netherlands. Netherlands is going to play with three, admittedly two, two quite wide, maybe one just inside. And, and from Percy on his own up front. So I think a back three makes a little more sense, particularly if you want to provide that protection just behind Rojo, allow Rojo to get forward, but, but have Basanta marking Robin, I would think is the idea. Um, how much... <laughs> Let's see. This, yeah. this is the 4-3-3. Well, we have two formations up on the screen, but the other option would be... Ah, uh, OK. Uh, the, the leaves uh, goes out of the team... Um, Basanta stays in, mm-hmm. so we would have uh, a back five of Sabaleta, Demichelis, Garay, Basanta, and Rojo mm-hmm. um, with a midfield. In that case, of Enzo Perez and Javier Mascherano, or Lucas Biglia and Javier Mascherano, perhaps. Um, no, sorry, Ma- Perez, Mascherano, and Biglia with Messi and Iguain up front. Yeah. Um, so, so Sabella would five do defenders and three defenders in the no, Sabella would do midfield. just as he did in the first match. <laughs> Except <laughs> I think that that midfield, Perez, Mascherano, Biglia, is far better set up. It's a bit more balanced than Mascherano. Yeah. Um, with Maxi Maxi Rodriguez yeah. and Di Maria. Because whilst Di Maria, obviously, in the midfield three, is a loss. Uh, the the mm-hmm. injury, he's, he's likely, by the way, to... He's definitely missing the semi-final. He, he should according to the Argentina's head doctor, should be back for the weekend, whether it's the third-place player or the final. Um, 
so we'll see. I think if it's the third place playoff, he probably won't won't play. But if it's the final, then they might risk it. Um, but the problem, as much as anything, was that Maxi Rodriguez in that uh, Enzo Perez in this case, um, or Fernando Gago in, in the previous case's role. Every time Mascherano got the ball, and I spent on Direct TV, there's a multi-camera option, so you can switch to this very high up in the stands camera behind the goal, and you can see the whole formation at all points. And um, I spent 10-minute chunks of the first half watching uh, from that view. Every time Mascherano got the ball, Maxi Rodriguez just straight away disappeared, just right on the other end of the pitch. Getting beyond Messi, fantastic. But without giving Mascherano the option, uh, precisely what Gago then, for the second half, spent the whole time doing Close to Mascherano, Mascherano wins the ball, gives it to Gago, and then Gago moves it on to Lionel Messi. Yeah, I think um, this is a much more the, the five three two is a much more balanced formation. Exactly. I think midfield three, that midfield three exactly. that we're looking at on the screen it's, at the moment is, is more yeah, balanced than the one. You get a lot of players who can play offense or defense depending on on who who has the ball. You mm. you have both Savaleta uh, and Rojo. You have Enzo Perez. You have Biglia. These players can either attack or defend depending on the situation. And I, I, this is a, a, a formation that even, of course, it's been much maligned because of this first half against Bosnia and because of the supposed resistance that the players have against this formation, which, in my opinion, is, is, is bollocks. But this is a formation that Sabella has used to win the Copa Libertadores. He's, he, he's very familiar with it. He knows exactly what to do with it. And, and the Sabella used to take Estudiantes to a couple of minutes away from yeah. a World Club Championship exactly. against the on a, Exactly. And Rojo was a player in, in that team. And, yeah. and if I'm not mistaken, Enzo Perez might have been as well. Yeah. The Libertadores team, he definitely was the, the Club World Championship team. I think he was still there, wasn't he? He might have left by that point, yeah. but I think he was still there. Mm. Um, I also think when playing this Dutch team, from what we've seen so far in the World Cup, they're very... Uh, you can get at their defence quite yeah, quite well, easily. Particularly because, of course, Nigel de Jong's injured. Exactly. And Nigel de Jong exactly. really is the only defensive central midfielder in the Dutch side. Yeah, that, since that his they're injury. They're going to have, uh, I forgot, Gregorio or Geronimo or something, Wijnaldum, um, who's an attacking midfielder, is about 20 years old, and um, Wesley Snyder with the two midfielders, central midfielders against Costa Rica in, in a kind of almost a 3-4-3 formation, really. Um and they don't have any other tackling midfielder who can come into the middle. No, I think what's... If they're talking... Van Gaal, and OK, Louis Van Gaal, if anything, has shown himself to be the man with the biggest set of brass bollocks in the whole World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> because there is no way, there's no way that Tim Krull was sent on as a penalty specialist at the end of that match. Yes. But when he was sent on, everybody in the Costa Rica team thought, this, is this a guy must be a penalty specialist. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to send on. And he gets he, into his head. He guessed every single penalty. He had it studied. Yeah. Of course, he had. Of course, he, he had had. studied. Of course, he had. And apparently, they, they didn't the tell. Shootout. And they, they didn't tell the starting goalkeeper. Uh, I can't say his name. Citizen. 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 They didn't tell him that he was going to come off because they didn't want to ruin his preparations for the match. Um, <laughs> so th- this is worth mentioning that, that Louis Van Gaal may very well not be telling the truth when he says this, but he claims that he's going to get uh, Vinaldum to 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 man mark Lionel Messi. <laughs> this is. A twenty-year-old attacking midfield playmaker. Um, I don't think. In which case, I'm be... sorry for Vinaldo if Valcar's telling the truth. But it's difficult to see what other options they're going to have because they don't have it mm. unless you put a defender into midfield. To do yeah. it. And, and if you see the, the Netherlands campaign throughout the World Cup, the, the only team that's uh, they've been attacked twice in the whole World Cup. One was Australia, which we know not to be, you know. Uh, particularly brilliant team in offense, just uh, without meaning young. to offend any of our numerous of course, Australian listeners that are about um, fifteen of them. So no, I mean Australia's probably their best match was against the Netherlands, and they had a very good well, shot of winning it. And bar, barring what was probably a goalkeeping error for the Dutch winner, I mean mm. I don't think he should have been beaten by that yeah, shot yeah, from exactly. range. They would have got a, a point. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and they could have done a bit more than that. Yeah. And I think the, the Dutch defense was seriously compromised by the, the Australian attack. And uh, the, the second match was a Mexico game. And that was with the young, no? In Australia. Yeah, exactly. And the Mexico game was a game with uh, just one team on the field throughout maybe 80 minutes oh. or so. And Mexico didn't, couldn't find a way to break, really, they, they had the ball, but couldn't really find a way to get in. Uh, but they dominated play and they could have 
they could have gotten a two or three goal lead uh, before the fatal last five or ten minutes of, of the game. So mm. it's, uh, it's so what you're saying, you're, you're extremely confident that Argentina are going to win four 0 in this semi final. No, 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 no. this is uh, this is football. Dinamica del Impensado, dynamics of the Empire. I think and, um, <laughs> this is. Uh, I mean, the two things that I fear the most about the Dutch team are Robben and Louis van Gaal, and one of them is in on the field. So, it's. Uh, I, I'm more optimistic than I was before the Belgium match, or even before the the, the Switzerland match. And uh, I, I've read a numerous amount of very intelligent RG uh, journalists saying I would have rather have Netherlands than Costa Rica. Why? Because oh, Costa Rica is such no. it's, it's, it's <laughs> such a great line. You think this is a yeah. very good defensive team? And Co- they, Costa Rica, got, Costa Rica, attacking the final would do exactly what Iran did against Argentina. Exactly, and they, exactly. And they would Cost, catch them. Costa Rica got, better at doing it. Exactly, so and catching the offense in offside. The better thing that could happen to Argentina because mm. we're gonna have a, a defense on which they can rely really. But uh, I don't want to see the Iran and the Switzerland match all over again. It was very no, long. The Iran no. match was very long. The Switzerland match was longer. But then the, and I at the end, everyone to see Messi appeared. But uh, with um, uh, Holland or <laughs> Netherlands, Netherlands uh, we will see another kind of match. I'm sure. Let's go. Let's go. And I don't want. I don't want really to see that because I think it could be painful for all of us. Mm-hmm. Because you think? Yeah, really. I'd back Argentina if, if the match opens up. I'd back Argentina to outscore. If it turned into just attacking, I think it could be a really good match, but also could be a disaster. I think Bangal could easily outthink Savela mm-hmm. and and do and do a chaos. I, and and I would, Argentina will be very complicated. I would not fall in the temptation of including Rojo because uh, I don't really would be confident about Rojo's good level against uh, Switzerland because I think Switzerland or Hitfield, Switzerland's coach, uh, really um, let Rojo yeah. to <laughs> attack. Exactly. Mm-hmm. By, by his uh, sector of the field. But the Switzerland match was, in my opinion, the worst that Argentina had in the whole World Cup. Yeah. And but the amount of crosses that Rojo had in that game was ridiculous. Something like yeah. 10 crosses. And yeah. you're, you're not meant it was to give him 10 crosses. really announced. And Always. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would include uh, uh, Ricky Alvarez or Lavesi, most Ricky Alvarez, because Ricky Alvarez is I really like a uh, left. Uh, Midfielder in uh, Italian football in Inter, and he was uh, elected as the best uh, left midfielder in Italy in the last season. So I would give him a credit. In which but formation? Do we have that? Yeah. Eh? In which formation? In an, 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 uh, four four two. For the back five no. or a back four? No. Uh, uh, ¿Cómo se llama? It, the statistics one. Um, uh, who Opta 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 yeah. Statistics Yeah yeah But if you were going to play Ricky Alvarez In which formation Would you play Ricky Alvarez ah. With a 4-3-3 Or with a five? No With a 4-3-3 yeah. okay. um, uh, so No With a 4-4-2 Because Ricky Alvarez Would be okay. Ricky Alvarez Would be Replacing to uh, So Bisanta Still at yeah. Left back Basanta. Ricky Alvarez In front yeah. of him And then a Midfield to a Biglia And Mascherano yeah. In the middle Okay we shall see. We'll see what uh, Alejandro Savela decides. Um, that, I think, is that apart from, very briefly, of course, where this will probably go online during, because it takes some time to edit and upload with the file sizes this wonderful new microphone uh, creates. This, this will probably go online during uh, Brazil versus Germany. So, Argentines... Obviously, we're all, I'm assuming we're all supporting Argentina. Peter, are you? Absolutely, yeah. And I certainly am. It's good for my career if they win. So uh, I hope they win. But uh, who would we prefer Argentina to be playing if, if Argentina uh, do reach the final? Would we prefer Brazil or Germany? Um, I, I would go for Brazil, definitely. Yeah. I think Brazil are in. Are in a is, is this I the think poetry the, of beating Brazil in Brazil, or no, is it because you're no, not at all? I, I, I would be very happy by 
seeing Argentina beat Uzbekistan in the final of the World Cup. There's been a lot of talk in Argentina about, I want to beat Brazil in the final in the Maracanã because of the symbolism and everything, and I think this is just stupid. Uh, I want to win the World Cup, and I don't care who mm. I beat in that in that way, you know. Um, Germany reached the 2002 uh, finals by beating uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, the USA in the uh, in the quarterfinals, and South Korea in the semifinals, and I I I think it's perfectly valid for them. And really, I would have happily played any lesser team in order to to win the cup. But between Germany and Brazil, I'm going with Brazil. They, I think they're in lower form. I think Argentina has a better chance of beating them. And I think that from the psychological standpoint, both will be very hard because Brazil have a history of beating us in finals, even yeah. when they have the, the losing edge. The and Germany have gotten us out of the last two. So you're the still going to face... The pressure on Brazil is ramped up round by round. Exactly. And it's going to be an amazing amount of pressure. And the pressure on if there is the final again against a traditional rival from South America. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Without Neymar. Yeah, yeah. And, and I want to give a big shout out to the fans in, our, uh, in Brazil who, after learning about Neymar's um, injury, they made a very fast, uh, a very fast reaction. Somehow, just imagine 10, 10 people in a foreign country who somehow managed to get a hold of a <laughs> prosthetic column <laughs> of a prosthetic column and then, you know, chant while holding the column up and down and saying, ole, 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 hola. Acá tenemos la columna de Neymar. Here we have Neymar's column. I think it was just a great show of Argentine. Spine. Uh, spine. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I Here like we to, have Neymar's spine. I would so like if to you see it, I'd like it's to make just a big shout out. Santiago yeah. talks entirely for himself there, and having fun <laughs> does not endorse that. I thought it was an incredibly bad taste, personally. Esteban, who would you prefer in the final? I think Argentina would not reach the final. But you expect them to lose on Wednesday? Yeah. Okay. But I would prefer Brazil. Uh-huh. But I think the final would be Brazil against Netherlands. Okay. And Please Brazil see. would be the champion. Interesting. Yeah. Peter? In terms of who I prefer as a, as a non-Argentine who would like to see Argentina win, but I probably would most love to see them beat Brazil just for the kind of event, <laughs> because I think it would just be an yeah. incredible event to see Argentina yeah. win the World Cup in Brazil against Brazil. I would um, go along with that personally. But um, I think, I actually think Germany will beat Brazil. Yeah. Mm. in the semi-final just with Brazil missing Neymar like you said and Thiago Silva um, but I think Argentina will beat the Netherlands so. I yeah I, I think Argentina are very I think Argentina Netherlands I think both semi-finals are going to be quite tight and I think Argentina Netherlands is going to be the tighter of the two mm. um, I think it will be decided by a goal either side and I think purely no not purely but mostly because of the form that Messi has shown in, in really high pressure situation so far in this tournament I think Argentina are just narrow favourites ahead of Netherlands um, I have a feeling that they're going to play Germany in the final but I I'd rather see them play Brazil in the yeah. final uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'd like, like to see them play Brazil in the final and to have a repeat of the friendly in New Jersey two years before yeah, three with Messi scoring a hat-trick in the 88th minute and cementing his reputation that would be superb just <laughs> shutting up everybody who's under the mistaken impression that he needs a World Cup win to be considered on a level with the greatest players of all time um, who no, take no uh, account whatsoever of the fact that some of the greatest players of all time never even got to play the World Cup including the man we started out talking this episode about our friend Ali Stefano uh, which brings us very neatly full circle and allows me to say enjoy the World Cup semi-finals everybody um, Particularly enjoy the, world, the one World Cup semi-final that, that remains um, when you hear this, because as I say, I imagine it's going to be uploaded during the first of them. Um, thank you very much indeed to Peter for lending us your living room. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to Santi as ever for coming along. Acá tenemos la columna de Neymar. Neymar spine. Thank you very much to special guest Esteban. Thank you, thank you. And we hope to have you back at some point in the future. Um, we were asked to, to close by uh, singing the Bad Moon Rising 
chance. We're not going to do that because we've not got all of the lyrics up on screen. Uh, but if you do want the lyrics, then uh, I would recommend searching for Brasil Decime Que Se Siente. Uh, if you Google that, then you will find the lyrics in Spanish. And if you use Translate, you should be able to find a, a more or less correct version of the lyrics in English. Um, so for now, I will close with Andres sent us an email about uh, our friend Lee Stefano, and it basically says that if you ask anybody um, of an older generation, then they will tell you that Di Stefano was the best player that they've ever watched. And then, obviously, people say this about all of their, their favourite players, but so many people um, are saying it today about Di Stefano that, that, that there has to be something in it. Um, on that note, we shall close. Rest in peace, our friend Di Stefano. And goodbye from us. Hopefully, we will be recording again in just over a week's time and bringing you news of, well, we'll definitely be bringing news of, of uh, the new world champions. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we will be bringing you news of Lionel Messi's Argentina being them. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.